0: So Money episode 941, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host, Tom Bonsaint.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. September 20th, how are you? It's Ask Farnoosh Friday, and I'm recording this a few days ahead of Friday. I just got out of a very long car ride coming back from giving a keynote at Warner Media. Very excited to speak to everybody at Warner Media. Warner owns CNN and Turner and HBO. This uh, invitation was part of a big themed week at Warner Media called Make You Matter, which is great that the company's investing in these programs. There was like wine and yoga as one session, and then the money session, which was me. So I'm not as cool as wine and yoga, but we had fun. We had fun in our session. And thanks to everybody who joined. I'm finally back at my desk, excited to introduce our upcoming co-host. He's waiting patiently on the other line. But before I get to Tom, I want to just – shine a light on some of the episodes that we had this week that if you haven't yet listened to, would really encourage you to go back and check them out. So on Monday, we had Kelly Brogan. She was actually a guest on the show a couple of years ago when she had her first book out. Um, She's got a new book, which uh, is all about how to um, you know move on with um, your recovery if you've been through some sort of recovery, whether that's a mental health recovery, addiction, how to own yourself is an of that book, and of course, we talked about the correlation between owning yourself and your identity and your path and the financial benefits of that. Wednesday, we had one of the co founders of Netflix on the podcast. Very excited to have Mark Randolph on the show. Mark was the first CEO of Netflix, the co founder with Reed Hastings of Netflix, and his book. That Will Never Work is out this week and it's all about the history of Netflix and how it came to be Netflix. I think it's like 150 million subscribers. Um, it takes us back to the beginning and how they raised money. Mark's mother was an investor. That was an awkward conversation he had with her. And then, of course, that w- interesting meeting with Blockbuster, right? Because you can only imagine what Blockbuster was thinking and feeling at the time when they saw Netflix come to the scene. And there was a period of time when they actually were hoping that Blockbuster would acquire Netflix and that didn't happen. But takes us back to that boardroom meeting. Really, really interesting stuff with Mark Randolph. Now, today, we have a number of questions that have come through the various channels on Instagram and and the email. Um, We've got questions from Ronald and Natasha and Jessica. If you're hearing your name, I've got you. Um, and we have a special co-host, Tom Bonsaint, joining us. And I want to just let everybody know that Tom and I go way back to – Tom knew me – and I knew Tom when we were just 18 years old back at Penn State University. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Farnish. I guess you're right. It's been uh, more than half of our lives at this more
0: point. More than half of our lives? Wow. And you put it that way. That's, that's intense. So Tom and I, we met in college at Penn State. We were both political science majors at the time. Tom graduated international poli-sci. I graduated in finance. Uh, Tom is now um, – you work in strategy and business development for an aerospace company. Um, and also, I'm learning that you're interested in becoming maybe a financial advisor. You're sort of more and more interested in money, which uh, I'm happy to hear. Okay. Here's the one question I want to ask you. Your greatest money moment since graduating from college. Let's ask that.
1: I think um, it was the realization that I had the flexibility to make some of the decisions I wanted to make in life and didn't have to be concerned monumentally about whether I could afford them. Uh, You know, I, I think about people talking about the fire movement and things like that. I think a lot of it just comes to getting to the point where you feel comfortable that you're able to live comfortably within your means and have a little fun here and there.
0: Yeah. So how are you having fun these days? It's hard to top the fun that we had at Penn State, but...
1: Of course. A different kind of fun now at 40, but I, I a lot of travel, um, a lot of you know, good restaurants and hanging out with friends. Um, I've been living in the Washington, D.C. area since, uh, let's see, uh, May of 2014, uh, which is, oh no, 2004, 15 years now. Um, so I have a pretty good group of friends established down here and a, a good life down here, and it's been fun kind of getting out and seeing the world a bit.
0: All right. I know I've been following you on the gram and Facebook. I'm going to actually be back at Penn State this homecoming. You'll be, you'll laugh at this because you probably don't remember me as much of a football watcher, but I'm coming back as the grand marshal.
1: I know. I saw that. It's pretty exciting. Very it's, exciting. It's quite the honor.
0: It's quite the honor. Last person on earth, but I'm happy to go back. It's been a while and uh, looking forward to connect with everybody at Penn State. Tom, before we get to the questions, I, I owe everybody uh, something, which is to go to my iTunes page and pick a reviewer. Um, I, I have been encouraging people to leave reviews because reviews are one of the most important ways to allow your podcast to shine in iTunes and get people to learn about you for the first time. iTunes uh, puts a spotlight on podcasts that seem to be getting reviews. And so to encourage reviews, I pick one person every week to get a 15-minute money session with me and as a thank you. And so this week, we're going to the iTunes page and picking... Allie Holder. Allie, if you're listening, thank you. She wrote that the podcast has been an anxiety reducer. And she says this podcast has changed my life. It's allowed me to take charge of my financial life and set me on a road to financial freedom. The most important thing this podcast has brought me is peace around money. And this alone has reduced my overall, overall anxiety by a third. Thank you, Farnoosh. Wow, that's a really different kind of review. I, I'm I have to say, I'm really honored and just so grateful that you have been inspired in this way. That the podcast and the people that come on the show and share their stories um, have been reducing your anxiety, and uh, it's for me this is evidence of why I got to keep. Marching. I got to keep doing this podcast. So, Allie, thank you so much. As my thank you, I'd like to invite you to have a call with me. You can email me at farnuishatfarnuish.tv. You can go on Instagram and direct message me there. Let me know you're the Allie from iTunes who left the review, and we will get it uh, on the calendar. So, thank you so much. And as a reminder, if you want to leave a review because you have thoughts about this show, I encourage you to do that. If uh, also you'd like to increase your chance of having a one-on-one chat with me. Also a great way to do that is to leave a review every week until the end of the year. I'll be picking one person from the review section to get that opportunity and I look forward to talking to as many of you as possible. All right, Tom, let's go to the mailbag, shall we? Mhm. You've been more and more interested in personal finance. Why is that?
1: You know, I have to say I've been a listener since day 1. Uh, in part because of our friendship in college, but in part because um, – if I could echo what Ali said, you know, a lot of what I've learned over the years about money has made me feel more confident and more relaxed. I think there's a lot of taboo that remains in American society of people talking about money or admitting that they don't know the answer to a financial question. Um, Now, we don't really do a very good job of teaching people about this or creating a culture that encourages people to have these kind of dialogues. So, by reading some of the books and listening to some of the guests, and Mm -hmm. for course, hearing a lot of Ask for over the last several years, um, I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, I now enrolled in the University of Virginia's uh, CFP program, uh, which they teach kind of like it is an adult ed program up here in Falls Church, Virginia. And it's been great interacting with the other students in the class, learning about their stories and really just getting more of an academic footing on some of these personal financial topics.
0: Awesome. That is so great to hear. Quick quick story. I, I attempted to take the CFP exam. I got all the books. I signed up for the course. It's really great. You can kind of do it as whatever pace you want. You can actually go and be in a classroom. You can do it online. You can do a bit of a hybrid. It's a really great program in the sense of how flexible it can be for people who often are taking this or studying for this uh, certification mid-career or like they've got a lot going on. So I, long story, I didn't end up doing it, I think, because um, ultimately, I just figured – I don't see a day where I want to just work with people one-on-one and like have a have an office, right? I like kind of giving the advice through media and, and wide platforms and you don't really need the CFP for that. Um, it's not a requirement. And I was also like six months pregnant, coming out with a book, and I was like, I think I'm <laughs> taking on too much. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like this was five years ago. I still get all the kind emails <laughs> from them. They're like, uh, "How about now? How about now, Farnoosh?" But maybe I haven't totally, you know, taken it off the table, but. We'll see. And I encourage you if this is something that you're interested in. And great to have you co-hosting with me because we do have a lot of questions that could use your perspective. So the first is from Ronald. And Ronald says, what are our thoughts on robo-investing? He says, I currently have $1.5 million in an actively managed IRA. It bothers me paying the 1% annual fee. I'm thinking of switching to a robo-account with fees of only 0.3% what are your thoughts would be appreciated? Well, I don't like the the fees either, I have to say. And I think we know now, given all of the studies that have been done around actively managed portfolios versus passively managed portfolios that are filled with, say, index funds that just track an index, that that the passive portfolios do just as well, if not better, than actively managed funds which also, yes, carry a higher management fee because you've got somebody there actively managing it. So it's no secret that I'm very uh, vocal about how I like robo-advisories. I I think that they – but they solve a lot of the problems, which is one, the cost. It makes it more affordable for more everybody to get in on the investing strategy. And then two, it kind of gets rid of the middleman, so to speak. You have a direct lens into seeing your portfolio. And a lot of these robo-advisors, whether you go with a Schwab or Betterment, Wealth Wealthfront, Vanguard there's so many the selection of investments are also really affordable and the right ones I think you know they're exchange traded funds etfs or index funds which they themselves carry low fees and they track you know an industry or an index they do this sort of broad approach to tracking and and riding a market which I like still diversified but there is no sort of active management that would sometimes be unnecessary frankly as far as performance goes and also so more expensive. So I do like the idea of a robo-investor invest, or advisor that you go to. What about you, Tom? What's, how, what's your approach?
1: Oh, I would wholeheartedly agree, echo everything you've just said. I think robo-advising really is the future. I think what we've seen recently is another trend is a lot of the robo-companies are realizing that they might have uh, lost a little something by not having the personal touch so I think there's more and more options out there where you can do sort of a hybrid approach, where most of your money is being managed uh, by the robo algorithms that are kind of designed to match your risk tolerance, and you you know you really get to outsource that kind of s- the side of investing. But some of them also have the ability for you to call up and speak to somebody, mm-hmm. and you know get a little bit more comfortable, you know human side of a connection, and make sure that the decisions you're making are matching kind of where you are in your life, your risk tolerance, the time you have to the horizon, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm.
0: No, you said it. There is something to be said about still working with a human being for part of your financial planning. I think when it comes to the investing component, leaving that up to a robo-advisor, a platform, an automated platform that automatically invests for you based on things like your age, risk tolerance, and then chooses these really low fee, cost-efficient ways of of doing that, index funds, ETFs, great. Done. Then on the other side of the equation, maybe you've got questions about, you know, estate planning and insurance and, you know, your overall, say, strategy or approach to retirement. In that case, yes, talking to somebody, getting an expert's advice, that's valuable. But is that worth a 1% fee of your assets? No, I think it's in that case, you pay a retainer, you pay by the hour or whatever. And more and more advisors are waking up to this hybrid approach. And I think the ones that are going to be continuing to work in this field and being successful are the ones that are so outsourcing maybe the investment component of the plan that they're creating for their client to a robo-advisor and then reserving the rest to one-on-one consultations that have their own pricing tier. Um, You can go to a site like XY Planning Network. You can find a lot of quality advisors that are following that Format. I think it's the future, like you said. And so, he's got one and a half million dollars in this uh, in this portfolio. Find a robo advisor that you like and talk to somebody there about how to do the transfer cost efficiently. Good luck to you, Ronald, and let us know how things go. Natasha on Instagram, great way to reach me, folks. Love talking to everybody on Instagram. It's a fast way to reach me. Her question is about. Uh, also investing, she has $8,500 saved on the app Robinhood, and it's all in individual stocks. And these are all companies that she likes and uses, but she doesn't know if it makes sense to own individual stocks. Should I, she's asking, sell them or those that have increased in value and put this into an index fund and just leave it there and then invest the new money that I get somewhere else Would love your advice. So look, I am not against investing in stocks. I think, though, that's really not something that you would benefit from doing until you have other bases covered. It's really risky, right, to invest in an individual stock. You haven't really diversified here. And she's just talking about a few companies, probably not a lot of diversification, That said, uh, if Natasha had said to me, Tom, you know, I'm maxing out my 401k. I've got an IRA. I have no debt. I have a rainy day account. And I want to get a little bit more into the stock market. And I understand the risks. But I just want to, you know, I want to do this because I enjoy it. I think just to say don't invest in stocks is like kind of silly. But you have to do it responsibly and knowing what you're getting yourself into. I might just not continue to contribute if you have other accounts to fill, if you've got maybe an IRA or a 401k that you can better fill um, before you start investing more in these stocks. And if you are going to start another portfolio, maybe start it with an index fund or an ETF, or a bunch of ETFs. What do you think? What's your philosophy on individual stocks, Tom?
1: I don't have any individual stocks. You know, I, I do kind of like you said in the beginning. I have index funds. I'm very passive. Um, I really focused on fees. There's a great website. I don't know if you've mentioned on the podcast before called feex.com. It's F-E-E-X.com. Mm-hmm. No,
0: it's I basically. haven't.
1: So what they do is they essentially analyze a fund yeah. that you put forward or that you currently have in your portfolio and suggest funds that have uh, similar strategies that have a lower fee. So if you're just saying, I want to yeah. buy, you know, the just say the 500 largest companies that exist in the S&P, the S&P 500. And then you can buy that in the form of an index fund from who knows how many companies, probably 50, 60. So you can go in and put one of those um, funds in there and it'll say, yes, buy this one. Or, or you know, you can get this one in the version of an ETF or this one's a lower fund from Vanguard or Fidelity, you know. Unless you have a strong preference with one investing house, you know, you really want to look at what is my strategy and then look at the fees next.
0: That's a great tip. It's also a really good resource for Ronald, who asked earlier about, you know, maybe, maybe making some transfers. Um I would also say, Nat- Natasha, that Robinhood. While I'm not familiar, they do have ETFs. So it could be that you don't like abandon this Robinhood account, but rather you maybe liquidate or not liquidate, but you you sell some of these stocks and use that money instead to be in an ETF. That would tr- be a much broader way to invest. Um, and ETFs kind of work like stocks; you can you can buy and sell them um, pretty quickly, but they uh, work like mutual funds funds in the sense that it's a basket of, of stocks that t- typically track some sort of theme like it could be energy or um, socially conscious companies. It might be a more diversified approach, risk managed approach to investing than just putting all the money in the stocks. So I would call Robinhood, maybe get on the phone with somebody and talk to them about your options.
1: Absolutely. The caller is going to look at only liquidating some of the funds in the account. They could look at the funds that they've owned for more than one year yeah. and they'll be taxed at the long term capital gains tax. Right. And so that could save them uh, you know, some substantial money.
0: Very, very good point. So when you make that call, Natasha, to the Robinhood team, the service team, bring that up and say, you know, and, and, and if they bring it up on their own, even better, that proves that they really know what they're talking about, like Tom here. Okay, Anonymous on Instagram has a question about what to do with the proceeds of a recent home sale. Do you own, Tom? Are you a renter? Your owner?
1: I do own, yeah. I uh, I have the same level of passion of real estate that you do, but uh, yeah, I do own my home.
0: Cool. All right, let's help out Anonymous here. She says that she's closing on her home on pretty soon, she says uh, next week, and she's going to walk away with about $300,000 in proceeds. She's moving from Boulder, Colorado, to Los Angeles. And then once she gets to LA, she wants to rent for two years until she gets a good grip on where they want to plant themselves. No consumer debt. Student loans are paid off. She and her husband run their own business. Cash flow is a little bit all over the place. So sometimes payroll, she says, can feel like feast or famine. But she says our game plan is to use this You know, $300,000 to first max out the Roth IRAs and our health savings accounts, throw a healthy check at our new baby's college savings account, boost our emergency fund from six months to one year. And then from there, she says she'll be left with about 200 grand that she'd like to remain semi-liquid for when they want to buy a home again in the next couple of years. So where should they put this money? She's been looking around. She found this thing called a no penalty CD. And wondering what is the catch? She also wants to mention she's 29. And truly, her question is just like, what's a smart place? Where's a smart place to park this money so that we're not missing out on interest? But we also have sort of the agility and and liquidity, right? To make a move quickly if we want to take this money and and use it. So, firstly, I just want to say, I feel like you are my kindred spirit because we are also in the process of trying to sell our apartment. We haven't quite started uh list we haven't listed it yet, but we're we're soon going to do that. And in in my head, I'm already doing all the calculations like okay, so if this is our theoretical cash out, what what are we going to do with this money? And it's so exciting, right? You have options now finally as opposed to just having all this money sitting in your home. And so now just like you, I'm thinking I'm going to do all the responsible things first. I want to uh, put more into our retirement accounts. I want to put a little bit more towards college savings. I want to definitely have a bigger emergency savings buffer uh, because I'm also an entrepreneur and the breadwinner in our family. And while we've been very fortunate every year to have you know healthy cash flow and we've never gone without it's still like always an insecurity of mine that oh my gosh what if i make no money you know or very little or much less than what i did this year it's i always prepare for the worst um so I'm looking forward to really plumping up all of these accounts. And then, yeah, there'll be some money left over. What do we do with it? Where do we put it? Well, part of it will probably go to a down payment on a home, uh, our next home. And we, like you, will probably rent in the interim because I think it's smart. You cash out. You rent a little bit. You get your lay of the land, especially if you're thinking of going to a new place. You never want to make a a several hundred thousand dollar purchase or over a million dollar purchase in some cities quickly, you know, like not in haste. You want to spend some time in the region, get to know it. Renting for a year or two is so smart. So good on you. So, where to put this money? First question was what is the catch to a no penalty CD? Let me take a step back a CD, right? Certificate of deposit. There are many kinds. They're usually they differ by their terms and their interest rates. A twelve month CD might right now carry like a one point five percent interest rate. A five year CD might be closer to a two and a half percent interest rate. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Don't quote me on these rates, people. Go to Bankrate for that. But the 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 catch to CDs typically is that you have to leave the money in the account for that term in order to earn that full interest and to not also incur any fees, early withdrawal fees. A no penalty CD says, look, here's our interest rate and you can withdraw the money at any point, no penalty. And so this allows you to take out the money if you need to maybe put it in a different CD that might be bearing a higher interest rate in the middle of you know investing in this other CD or use it to buy a house or whatever you want. And I think the one thing that would be different here is that the interest rate's probably not going to be as attractive as a CD that has penalties for early withdrawal, right? That would probably be my guess. I would look into it for sure. The one thing you don't want to do, and I think you know this, is to put this money somewhere that will get tied up or will get put in a risky proposition. Like You don't want to put it in the market, by any stretch, not if you need this in two years. The rule of thumb is if you need money in the next five years, put it somewhere liquid and safe. I think she's getting warm to where she should put this money. I would say like a 12-month to a two-year CD, a no penalty one is probably even better because if you find a house that you love in three months, you can take this out and not pay a penalty. You could also just put it in an online interest-bearing account. What do you think, Tom?
1: I agree. I think uh, you brought up all the right points. You know, she needs some flexibility right now, and so I think a CD that, as you say, is no penalty, or a high yield savings account. You know, whichever one is going to give you a better rate. Some of them will be fixed rates. Some will be variable rates that mm-hmm. will adjust and reset at periods of time. So there's a little bit of uh, homework you need to do there, but I think you can do a lot of it, as you said, on bank rate. Now, um, the anonymous also mentioned that an interest in finding the 529 plan for their their newborn. Yes. Um, I think that's a great idea. Uh, I did look it up, and regrettably, California is one of the states that does not provide a state tax benefit for contributions to 529s. Um, but I'm you know, i trying to think also, even though they didn't mention this as a consideration, what sort of retirement situation they have. I think uh, the Roth is great. I think the HSA is great. I love all that. But if you're running your own business, you know, what sort of retirement plan do you have in place for yourself? There's a lot of flexibility you can have as a business owner, as I'm sure you well know. Um, so I would encourage them to also think about talking to a retirement specialist that could help them identify what sort of a plan would work well with a company like theirs that has irregular cash flows. Uh, but if they're the sole proprietorship, uh, and it's just her and their spouse, then um, that could be pretty interesting as well.
0: Yeah. They mentioned an IRA. Is it a SEP IRA? That would be great. You can contribute over $50,000. That's tax deductible, um, which would be a great Tax savings, but also a great way to, it's a, it's a lot of money that you can put away. You did mention the 529, and I will just say that even if they live in California, they don't have to take, they don't have to do the California plan, although it'd be awesome if they did and they could get the tax benefit, the state tax benefit. Um, perhaps before you move, I don't know, what's Boulder? Let's see, Colorado, Colorado 529. Do they have a tax benefit for the state? Let me just quickly look it up.
1: Colorado. I did recall reading that there are only seven states that don't provide a benefit, with California being one of them.
0: Okay. So maybe Colorado does. I can't find it on the Google. Okay. Well, look it up because if that is the case that you can get a state tax benefit then and you have a Colorado 529, I would I would invest in that before you move, <laughs> um, before your address Absolutely. changes and get the uh, as much of the benefit as you can this tax year. All right. Well, good luck with your move, Anonymous, and thank you for your question. All right, Tom. Let's round it out here with Jessica on Instagram. She is two years out of college, debt-free. She works as a financial analyst at a company near her home, still lives with her parents. No problem with that. And so as a result, able to save a good amount of money. She's contributing 6% to her company's 401k. They match 3%. So I'm guessing that's a total of 9%, which is solid. She also has savings in a high-yield account which is getting about 2% in interest. She wants to invest some of her savings in something a little more risky but doesn't know where to begin. So what do we recommend for her? Should we should we have her talk to a financial advisor? I think it's early to get talking to a financial advisor. I mean, there—look, there's no harm in talking to a financial advisor, but entering a, a relationship with a financial advisor right now, um, you know, not—I wouldn't say really, really necessary. I think you're doing a lot of smart things on your own, Jessica. It sounds like you know a lot, and if it, really your question right now is just about how to do a little bit more with investing, the truth is, she's in her early twenties. You should be taking on more risk than somebody who's say in their forties or fifties. It doesn't sound like you have any dependents. Um, it's just you. So where in your 401k, I would just be sure that, you know, your allocation reflects that, that. You've got a really long investment horizon. You're in your 20s, you might not need this money until you're in your 60s, 40 years. So your tolerance for risk is much higher. And the rule of thumb, and again, just a rule of thumb, but a lot of people just like benchmarks to kind of give them a place to start, is to take 100, subtract your age, and what that number remains is the percentage of, That you want to be in stocks versus bonds and cash. So if you're, let's say 25, then I'd say at least 75% stocks, maybe even 85, 90% stocks at this age and the rest in, um, sort of bonds and, and like fixed income stuff. But start with your 401k and make sure that your risk tolerance, your risk allocation is aligned with kind of your appetite right now and what you can really afford. From there, if you've got more money to like play with, quote unquote play with, I would open up a Roth IRA and do the same thing. Make sure that, you know, the majority of the investments in the Roth IRA are in equities. And not to say you're picking individual stocks, but you're picking funds that track stocks as opposed to bonds. What do you think, Tom? She should take on risk right now, right?
1: Absolutely. There's no better thing to have when you're saving money than time. Uh, So if this person is in their early 20s, they have a lot of time to see that money compound. So I would look at as much as you're able, certainly continue doing the 401k because you want that match. You want that free money from your employer. That's a great benefit to have. Um, It's great that you already have a high yield savings account and you're getting some interest on there. But I think a Roth IRA is really the logical next step. And if you're looking to get something that's going to give you you a high return over the long term, um, then, yeah, maybe you go in something a little bit more risky. You could look at emerging stocks, international stocks, uh, even a real estate investment trust, a REIT. Um, There's a lot of things that you could do out there that I think um, present some interesting long-term implications. You know, you're going to have a year or two when things probably – things go down or they could go down way a lot like they did in 2008 and 2009. Yeah. Uh, But you have a long time until you're going to need this money. And right now you're being taxed at likely a very low rate. Uh, historically low rates. So capture that benefit through the Roth IRA by making those after-tax contributions. It's a great strategy.
0: Yes. And later on, if you want to be more uh, of an investor and and kind of diversify where you're investing beyond stocks, I mean, there you can look, like you mentioned, there's real estate, there's, you know, old businesses. You You could be like a startup investor. But there, you know, the rule of thumb is to not bet the farm. You know, those are all risky propositions. And no more than you know ten percent of your investable money should be going towards anything that's like super super risky that is like you know putting all your eggs in like a restaurant investment or an art piece or something like that. The most sophisticated investors are not you know, over exposing themselves to these singular investment ideas. Um, and even with real estate, you know, diversifying that, getting a couple of properties. And I would love to someday get my hands on some like, you know, rental properties and make them nice and go on the Airbnb where all the kids are going and cash in. But I always got time, right?
1: Absolutely. Just like this caller, you've got plenty of time.
0: Got plenty of time. Well, I like where your head's at, Jessica. Great thinking, great doing. Really appreciate you have having you in the audience. Let us know what you decide, and everybody, thank you for your questions. Tom, how's your fall shaping up? Are you got you got a lot going on this fall?
1: No, I actually had a pretty big summer, a, a lot of travel, and yeah. so I'm happy to just kind of chill a little bit around fall, enjoy those fall flavors, uh, enjoy the cooler weather, get out, carve a pumpkin, do all the things.
0: Oh, carving a pumpkin! I'm excited for that too. I love Halloween as a mom. It's like one of my favorites. Just like experience that with the kids. We're already talking about costumes and apple picking. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. Thanks for putting me in a good mood. Tom Saint, great to catch up with you. Hope to uh, have you back on, and maybe when you start getting you know into that CFP, having you back and you know schooling us on all the things.
1: You never know. It's certainly been fun uh, preparing a bit for this call and great to connect with you again. I'm so glad to see you've had so much success. And I'm sure Penn State will continue to involve you in events going forward.
0: I hope so. I'll be there. Thanks so much. And everybody listening, I hope your weekend is so money.